and welcome to another episode of Unpacking the Case. I'm joined again, as always, by Richard Snape, our Head of Legal Training, for a Newsflash episode. Hi, Richard. Hello, Lizzie. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. How are you? Bar the COVID, which you're still recovering from. Yes, I'm still recovering from COVID. I hear you've been travelling the world. Spain. Yes, and I've, I've managed to get around scot-free without catching anything, so that's... Um... Spain, Portugal and Wales. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Okay, so we're here for a news flash episode, um, and this is in relation to a High Court judgment from the 14th of June, and the case is called Pretoria Energy Company Chittering Limited and Blankney Estates Limited. And it's in relation to whether heads of terms might give rise to a legally binding contract. So I think we're touching on this one, particularly for surveyors. Um, but do you want to start with the background facts on the case? Yeah, it's it's quite an important issue, although, as we'll see, perhaps it's um, it's left a lot of things in the air. <clears throat> the background is that Pretoria Energy, uh, they're based in, um, in Cambridgeshire, uh, and they are in the business of... Um, producing energy through anaerobic digesters. Do you know what they are, Lizzie? No. <laughs> Doesn't sound very pleasant. Uh, I mean, they, somebody in Somerset told me they've got a farmer client who's a cattle herd. Right. Can power a small village by this anaerobic, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I'm on your wavelength, yeah. <laughs> but no, they, it's where organic materials produce uh, you know, gas and electricity. Um, you know, various waste products but, or, uh, you know, sort of things, those in this case, like maize. And they'd already got a, a couple of uh, these anaerobic digesters in Cambridge, including in Chittering and Cambridgeshire. Um, and they were negotiating a lease for a site in Lincolnshire, black, from Blankney Estates, who were, well, they were big farm estates based on Blankney Village in Lincolnshire. But this particular... Um, land was in somewhere nearby called Metheringham. It was Metheringham Heath, Heath Farm. And what they wanted was a 25-year lease of this particular site, 27 acres, which was a, a former flax, you know, linen factory, which was now um, disused, uh, and a neighbouring field. And they're going to produce this anaerobic digester and make their profits like that. Um, so that was basically the background. And uh, they negotiated heads of terms on this particular agreement. There have been a draft heads of terms beforehand, which have been discarded, but the new heads of terms, and this becomes important later, unlike the draft, the original draft, had uh, agreed a lockout agreement, an exclusivity clause, if, if you know what that is, Lizzie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's where you can't negotiate with anybody else during a certain time period, a set time period. And this was, uh, was going to be, I think, six months from making the planning application. So you wouldn't negotiate with anybody else. They would be locked out, whether they are valid and sort of whether they catch the unenforceable is another matter, but that need not concern us here. Um, so they negotiated this lockout agreement and they also negotiated heads of terms that the rent would be £150,000 per annum with an RPI-based increase every year. Not a very good idea in this day and age. And in November 2013, these heads of terms were produced uh, with uh, a few other things besides, obviously, but no concrete uh, specifics. Um, that tends to be the case with heads of terms. So what happened subsequently? The um, heads of terms were, were basically subject to full planning permission uh, 
been approved in Austria for this uh, development. And also, um, you know, consents and easements being um, obtained. Pretoria uh, applied for planning permission in January of 2014. What they also did in February is uh, agree a license uh, of neighbouring land from, from, um, from Blankney. This was completely separate, it wasn't really part of the decision, but they would be growing maize on neighbouring farms and the maize would be used as a way of uh, powering uh, the anaerobic digesters. And uh, they eventually got, I think it was in June of uh, 2014, they got planning permission. And uh, part of the agreement was that uh, Blankney would be responsible for the demolition uh, of the, the flax factory. And um, then uh, at their own expense, um, you know, eventually a lease would be granted. Various draft leases were passed backwards and forwards, but that's when the dispute seems to have started to arise. Though I should have said that the, the lockout agreement, the exclusivity clause ended in July the 31st, 2014. What was the subsequent dispute? There seems to be many of them. It's primarily there were problems in relation to the dem demolition of the factory and that um, it seems to have you know, sort of cost a lot more than was originally anticipated by, by Blankley, the proposed landlord. And so Blankley wrote off to, um, to um, Pretoria saying that, will you, you know, foot some of the additional bill? Also their solicitors wanted uh, undertakings as to costs to Blankley's and also wanted to know who, um, Victoria's solicitors were, and there seems to be, this wasn't really specified too much in the law report, but there seems to be various 25 different inquiries that they were raising, you know, and the responses were made. And uh, the dispute seems to have gone on, you know, post the end of the lockout agreement, you know, through August and September of 2014, until eventually in November 2014, um, the Blankney announced that uh, we found some third party to sell to and we don't think you're committed to the, uh, the venture, to the project. And uh, so we're going to, you know, basically sell to somebody else or grant a lease to somebody else. So why did this all take so long? Well, it doesn't really specify too much again in the law report, but uh, it seems to have gone silent until September 2020. So Pretoria then decided to bring proceedings just, you know, claiming that the heads of terms amounted to a legally binding contract. Um, and hence, I suppose as well, what would have delayed things is that during much of 2020 and 2021, there was a log jam in the courts because of, of, of the pandemic and the likes. So it wasn't finally heard until earlier this year. And the decision was in, on June the 14th this year. So what was the decision? Well, I wasn't particularly surprised by, by most of the decision, it must be said, but there's still sort of loopholes. I mean, it was something that um, perhaps you could have predicted the decision. As you all know, contracts in land firstly have to be in writing and signed and all the express terms in, a, in one single document uh, under section two of the Law of Property Miscellaneous Provisions Act. A major exception here being contracts for leases of uh, three or less years in duration, but this was a 25 year lease. Um, the judge decided that uh, section two had been complied with. There was one document containing all the express terms and it had been signed. 
Um, but they went on to say there was no intention to create legal relations. Why was that? Well, there's various reasons. Firstly, the lockout agreement, remember that the heads of terms were from November 2013, and the lockout agreement stopped you negotiating with anybody else until November, sorry, stopped you negotiating with anybody else until uh, the end of July 2014. Um, and But then you could start negotiating with third parties, as happened. And that suggested that the heads of terms would not be intended to be legally binding if you can suddenly sort of reopen negotiations later. The previous, the draft uh, heads of terms without the lockout agreement said that so you'd have to adhere to the terms and conditions and pricing until uh, a final agreement had been accepted and signed. And the court did say that that might give rise to a different decision on that particular point. Uh, but the lockout agreement seems to be fairly key. Secondly, as you'd expect in heads of terms, although the, um, the major provisions have been sort of agreed, there was no key specifics you know, specific to that particular transaction and none of the detail that was there and the detail couldn't be implied, it would be an impossible task. Thirdly, the heads of terms stated that the final lease would be contracted out of the 54 Landlord and Tenant Act which obviously means you serve warning notices before the tenant commits themselves. And you have to serve the notices before they commit themselves, including an agreement for lease a contract. And this hadn't been complied with, which wouldn't have made too much sense. Thankfully, they said that therefore this can't have given rise. It would have been quite interesting they said otherwise than that, but this couldn't have given rise to a legally binding contract. And finally, although they hadn't used words subject to contract, which tend to be the time hallowed words you should use, uh, use phrases like uh, this is the proposed agreement and the court decided you don't have to use subject to contract to make it non-legally binding. And the whole sort of um, suggestion was that there was no legal bindingness to it. So um, after many a year, uh, blankly estates win the case. So what conclusions can we draw from this case? Although the heads of terms, as usually is the case or intended to be the case, didn't give rise to a legally binding contract, there might just be circumstances where they do. I say if the lockout agreement and perhaps the um, 54 Act exclusion hadn't been there, who knows whether there'd been a different decision. And also, you have to be very careful if... Um, Obligations have to be fulfilled before the, the final agreement is uh, in the final contract uh, is, is signed because uh, those obligations might make it partly legally binding in heads of turn. So I think the message for surveyors is if you have any doubts, I mean, use words like subject to contract to leave it beyond doubt. But if you have any doubts as to whether parts of the agreement might become legally binding, come and contact DJB. <laughs> An excellent plug to end on. Thanks, Richard. <laughs> thank you, Richard. And thank you to everyone for listening. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode.